Father, we ask this time again that you'll visit, visit us with your Holy Spirit. You'll teach us, guide our minds, our thoughts, and uh, may Christ be up exalted in his name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty, we're <clears throat> drawing to a close, uh, Christ in Daniel, and uh, <clears throat> uh, just a bit of review. We've, uh, the first day we looked at the um, various chapters, it was kind of an overview of, um, of Christ in Daniel. In chapter, uh, chapter 1, he was, he's the Lord. Chapter 2, he dwells in flesh. The Babylonians said, uh, the wise men said, oh, we, we can't understand what's going on. Uh, this can only be revealed by the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And, uh, but uh, the God of heaven dwelt in the flesh of, of, uh, of um, Daniel. And uh, this is a great mystery. It's called the mystery of godliness, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's one of the themes of the book of Daniel. And then chapter 3, the Son of God walking in the midst of the fire with the rest of the, with the Jewish young men. Uh, 4, he's the justifier. He's the one that uh, laid the glory of um, Nebuchadnezzar in the dust and then did for him what he could not do for himself. And then uh, chapter 5, he's judge because of, um, because of his uh, uh, ability. He was creator, redeemer, lawgiver, and judge. And, uh, and then in, in uh, chapter 6, we, we don't have time to go into that one, but uh, he's the God who delivered Daniel from the uh, lion's den. And then in chapter 7, he's called the Son of Man. Chapter 8, he's called Palmoni. It's not uh, in the marginal reference, but it means the revealer of secrets or uh, the wonderful numberer. And then chapter 9, we'll be spending most of our time in chapter 9, with the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, chapter um, 10, he's called Prince. The, the rest of the uh, chapters, he's called Prince. Even in chapter 9, he's called Messiah the Prince. And chapter 11, he's called the Prince of the Covenant. And... Um, and so, but today we're going to be talking about the everlasting righteousness and when it, uh, when it was brought into the human, uh, human experience. Um, and probably let's begin with just reading a few verses here in, in chapter 9. And uh, one thing I was going to say before I, before I forget it, I was thinking of it last night. The book of Daniel begins with, with three, three entities, God. Babylon and Israel, literally. And it ends with God, Babylon, spiritual Babylon, and spiritual Israel. These are the issues that are, that are throughout the, the book of Daniel. And, uh, but let's, uh, let's just read, when I get to it, uh, Daniel 9. And uh, this, is, this is a familiar passage, I'm sure, for all of us. And this was the, uh, Daniel was sick in chapter 8, uh, after Daniel had, after, had he'd received a vision from, from Christ. Christ is the one that gave the 2300 year prophecy. And, but he got sick. He understood the first part of it, the different beasts that were mentioned there, uh, Greece and, and um, um, Medo-Persia. But he could not understand the 2300 day prophecy. And he got sick and... Uh, Sometime later, Gabriel came back to him. He said, consider the vision. 
And so he outlined, or he gave the beginning of the vision, and that's in chapter uh, chapter 9 here. And uh, probably let's go to verse um, 21. He, As I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, uh, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me, and he talked with me, and he said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Now, the only vision that we have before this is the one in chapter uh, chapter 8 of the 2300-year prophecy. And so the first things out of the mouth of Gabriel is, he says, uh, dealing with that, he says, 70 weeks are determined upon your people. And uh, for your people and for your for the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah the Prince. There shall be seven weeks, sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, uh, and the wall even in troublous times. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end shall be with a flood. In the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant or the covenant with many for one week. In the midst of the week, he shall be cut off and uh, end uh, may bring an end to sacrifice and offerings. And then it goes on again. There's three, three uh, fingers of prophecy here. <clears throat> uh, one has to do with the, the restoration of the city, the wall. And the third one, the most important, that, that is Christ. And uh, there's some people who say this Messiah, the Prince, is not Christ. It's some anointed uh, king that's going to come along, perhaps the Antichrist. It's absolutely amazing. So there's some who actually say that this prince is the Antichrist. They're calling Christ Antichrist. The Christians that are doing this sort of thing. But it, it definitely is Christ. There's no, no doubt about it. I think the first day we looked at this and, and saw that when uh, Christ began his public ministry, he re referenced this very passage. He, says, uh, he said, the time is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And the only time element that it could be was the 70-week proph prophecy or 490 years uh, literal time. And then he ended his, uh, close to the end of his uh, uh, ministry in Matthew 24, he said, uh, he talked about the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of. So Christ's public ministry was based on Daniel and it ended on the book of Daniel. And he got his name, uh, uh, one of his titles, the Son of Man from uh, Daniel. So, yes. Is that why uh, some churches gather their Seven years of tribulation from? Yeah, the last, yes, the last week, those seven days or seven, they, they will admit that, they, that it's seven years, but they've, uh, they've disconnected it. Yes, yes, they've, they've disconnected it from the 69 weeks that go before. And uh, I wish we had time maybe to go into that because uh, that was the, we talked about the Protestant Reformation just briefly. But uh, they believe, as we do today, that the, <clears throat> that the Antichrist uh, was and is the papacy. And they use Daniel and Thessalonians and um, Revelation to demonstrate 
<clears throat> the, the Antichrist, uh, th this sort of thing. Now, how it came about, in the Protestant Reformation, there were two points, two prongs of their, uh, to their message. Uh, one was the justification by faith in Jesus Christ alone, and the second was the prophetic word uh, pointing to the Antichrist. And the, <clears throat> the uh, papacy, uh, one of the reasons that the uh, Jesuit organization was established was to destroy the Protestant Reformation. And they did it on those two points. Uh, they, they changed the, <clears throat> the idea of justification, uh, justification by faith, in the Council of Trent. And there were two or three, actually maybe more than that, but there were two of the Jesuits who were tremendous scholars. And they were the ones that, that formulated the plan or the, the uh, doctrine of justification. Whenever you read of the curses in, 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 uh, from the Council of Trent, this, is, uh, this was Je uh, Jesuit, not just inspired, but they actually directed in this thing. Uh, one man, and there were many of the bishops and scholars who wanted to go along with the Protestant Reformation during that council. But this one man was so powerful, he spoke for three hours and changed the minds of everybody in that, uh, in that auditorium. Uh, and uh, he did it a, a couple of times. He was a tremendous speaker and a, and a great scholar. And he knew precisely where to attack the message of justification by faith. And then the second was also dealing with the... Uh, uh, the Antichrist, the, uh, the, the papacy was ready to fold up. They just, it was completely demolished. And there were two uh, Jesuits, uh, and again, two outstanding uh, scholars who started, uh, they decided they needed to do, do something, get the attention off the Antichrist, or get, get, get it off the papacy. And so one man, by the name of uh, Alcazar, uh, he said, well, the Antichrist has already been here. And they said, uh, Nero or someone like that. And the other one uh, said, uh, Ribera said, uh, uh, he's, he's in the future. And he's the one that separated the 70-week prophecy, or took the, the last week of the prophecy, moved it forward. And then you have the uh, Protestants that came along, the dispensationalists built on that. And, and, uh, and they said, this is the time of the Antichrist. He'll set up his kingdom on the earth. Uh, but uh, this is calling Christ Antichrist. It's just, it's amazing. Yes. How can you, well, my, uh, I'm amazed at how can all those systems that exist in order and remove the other one in the future? How would at least get over it? I'm quite stubborn anyway. Yeah, so yeah. They would have to give me a tremendous explanation for that. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, they've got some, yeah, they don't really hold up. But how they do it, they go back, uh, the Protestants and dispensationalists, they go back, they, they call it, there's seven dispensations. Uh, one that starts with Adam and Eve, and then uh, the Jewish. Well, that's Yeah, that's, this is how, yes. And so they, they, say the, uh, they say we're living in the time of the Gentiles now, and they call it the gap, either the church age or the gap period. And, and the gap is between the 69th uh, week and the 70th week, and that's how that's how they uh, that's how they do it. And uh, but it's amazing to, to see how it's uh, you know the the Protestants resisted the papal interpretation for uh, about 200 years. They had nothing. They wouldn't accept either the preterist that would be the Antichrist had come in the, in the, somewhere in the past, and the futurist that says he's coming in the future. They resisted both of those. For about 200 years, and the the uh, preterist or the one Christ is in the Antichrist. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, Christ, uh, the papacy is the Antichrist. They said it could not be that because he's already been here. Like I mentioned Nero and that type of thing. 
and the liberal wing of Protestantism accepted those concepts. Then the fundamentalists and dispensationalists, they accepted the futurist one. Neither one evidently knew that these came from the Catholic Church. So you've got two groups of Protestants fighting each other with a misinterpretation of papal, uh, papal My theology. To that was anybody could be a man filled spirit, but the precise yeah. person. Yeah. I was talking about the ineffable answer. Yeah. Well, just take them to scripture. Uh, we, and we did that the other day. With, uh, John, yes, you had a thought. No, the Catholics are planning a big celebration of the 500 year anniversary of yes. uh, Martin Luther nailing pieces to the, to the, yeah. to the door. Yeah. Saying that this this reformation is over and so on and so forth. Yes. Yeah. I think it's interesting. It doesn't seem like it's a coincidence. No. That a Jesuit <laughs> pope is presiding over yeah. these occasions. Yes. Yeah. 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 When when this thing is over with, we're going to see that the Jesuits have had their finger in every pie <laughs> uh, since the Reformation. They they did destroy the Reformation. We see the evidence of it today. Uh, the only one, not, not, not almost, thank you, yes. <laughs> the only ones left standing so far are Seventh-day Adventists. Now, there's one other group. Uh, it was a, I'm not sure what brand of uh, Baptists they are, but they're in, in England. Pardon me? No, not Seventh-day. No, it was uh, another group uh, who believed that, they, uh, as we do, in the Antichrist. And they're the only ones that I know of. What? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. No, not at all. No, but we. What someone someone said. We've read the, we've read the last chapter of Daniel and Revelation. We know how it's going to come out. So, <laughs> we win. yeah, yeah. By God's grace, yes. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. I've read some of the material, but I haven't I hadn't read that about. Uh, but the belief in the Antichrist. So, yeah. Uh, you, you know, you oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. If I see a hand uh, moving, I think someone wants to say something. Okay. All right. So that's kind of the outline. And it was during this period of time that the everlasting righteousness of God came into the human experience through Christ. Now, it was there by promise and by experience. But if Christ failed, uh, there would have been no everlasting righteousness for us. By the way, he could, could, have, he failed? could he have failed? Yeah. yeah, yeah. His life was a life of faith. By fa he lived by faith alone. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But there are many. There are many. Again, uh, Protestants who believe that Christ could not have failed. It's, it's amazing. Some of the things that are out there. Um, <clears throat> Alrighty. If this will move, we will uh, see. Yeah. Okay. These are the things. There are six items that are brought out in uh, verse twenty-four that the transgression would be finished, he would put an end to sin, atone for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal both the vision and the prophecy, and then to anoint the most holy. And that one's off the chart a little bit. But, so this takes us from the, from the time of the cross to the, cruci the crucifixion, and also then Christ going to heaven and uh, anointing the, the most holy place was anointed in heaven. And this is the inauguration that took place when Christ ascended. Uh, preparation for his uh, high priestly ministry. Um, but these all point to and from the cross. Uh, cr the cross is central 
And uh, as we mentioned earlier about Gabriel, he explained the time prophecy regarding bringing in everlasting righteousness. And uh, he gave instructions on how the time period was delivered. He gave the beginning of it. And then he, there were three major sections that he outlined for Daniel and for us. Uh, he, um, he ended by focusing on the event of the 70th week, which is the time when Christ was cut off or crucified uh, for us. Uh, verse 25, he's called the Messiah the Prince. 26, he was, uh, that's when, it, or the, he's called Messiah the Prince in verse 25. Uh, the Messiah was cut off, verse 20, uh, 26, and then 27 tells it was in the midst of the week uh, when he, he uh, finished the transgression, I'm sorry, he uh, brought an end to the sacrifices and that type of thing. Uh, so Christ and him crucified is central to the book of Daniel. And uh, the, whole, the whole book is going that way. We, have, we want to have two passages that really do deal with it specifically here in chapter 9 and also in chapter 11. There's a focal point in the chapter 11. Christ is the, he was the prince of the covenant, of the everlasting covenant, and he was, he was broken. And I've got a, a little bit of a chart here. Uh, a little bit later we'll look at this. But we looked at this before that uh, this, is the, this is the time prophecy that Daniel was given by, um, by uh, Gabriel and centered in the cross in AD 31. And then uh, <clears throat> um, the gospel went to the Gentiles and uh, Christianity of course, became a part of the Gentile religion. Now, here, this is chapter uh, chapter, uh, chapter 11. Uh, maybe we could go there. Chapter 11, we won't spend a lot of time. I wish we could spend more time. <laughs> I mean, Tim, is, uh, I mentioned the other day, had written a book on this, and it's a very, it's a very rich chapter. And uh, 22, and it's not something to be afraid of. <laughs> uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's it's fairly literal. There's some symbolism in it, but most of it is straightforward, uh, right down the line historically. And uh, the early uh, the early Adventists and uh, W or uh, Miller believed that the King of the North was the papacy. And they how they did this, they outlined the entire Book of Daniel and they traced down every uh, nation, uh, every kingdom that was involved. And they said the the conclusion was that the King of the North had to be the papacy. Now, there were some among us back in those days that switched from the papacy to the Turkey and that type of thing. And, um, but that didn't, um, it didn't really make any sense. But in verse 22 of uh, chapter 11, he says that the, the force of a flood, they shall be swept away from before him and be broken and also the prince of the covenant. And that is Christ. And here, uh, what we have, if we go back to verse, uh, well, verse 20, uh, we're in chapter, chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 20. It says, There shall arise in his place, and, and the, one, the verse before this evidently is, is uh, speaking of Caesar. And uh, in the verse 20, There shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom, but within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. And in his place shall arise a vile person to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably, seize the kingdom with intrigue, and then with the force of a flood, they shall be swept away from before him and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant. The prince of the covenant would be broken also, or crucifixion. So here is the, the outline of uh, Daniel 9 and 11. Uh, chapter 9 gives us 27 AD, he began his public ministry, 
34 AD was the end of that last period of time when, and then the gospel went to the Gentile world. In chapter 11, you have the reign of Tiberius. Now, some say it was uh, that he didn't start until uh, AD 14. It really doesn't matter for our illustration here. It was during the reign of Tiberius that Christ was crucified. And uh, some believe, and I lean this way, there's, uh, it appears that he, was, um, he didn't rule in from Rome with his, uh, with his would be stepfather or adopted father, um, Augustus, but he, uh, he did rule. But it was during his reign that Christ was crucified. Through Pilate, of course, was the, was the go- uh, Roman governor at that time. <clears throat> and uh, here I think we've got some, yes, uh, this uh, led up to the time of the cross, Daniel uh, 11. And uh, <clears throat> um, Caesar, uh, Augustus was the founder of the Roman Empire. And some say, well, wasn't Roman existence before that? Yes, but it was considered a republic. What's a republic? Government of the people, by the people, for the people, or it should have been. But it only lasted about 200 years, maybe even, well, probably about that. But anyhow, he was, um, they, they had made, uh, they had voted Caesar, uh, the one just before him, they voted him to be dictator for life. And his friends were concerned about this because uh, they believed it should, that Rome should have been, remained as a republic. And so they murdered him. They ganged up on him. And uh, he fought till he died. Uh, but he was a very strong man, a very tremendous general. Very seldom lost a war. But, uh, but they killed him. And, uh, and then Augustus came along. And, uh, he, and that's, that's the one he's talking about here. That uh, uh, he, he was the one that became the first emperor of Rome. And after that, it, uh, it's known as an empire rather than a, than a republic. Well, they still call themselves a republic, but it, it, was, not, it was not so. Um, um, and then he, he died in uh, uh, AD 14. He's the one we read in the book of Luke when the, when the people were taxed. That's the reason that Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. They had to go to the place of their birth or their origin in order to be taxed. And, uh, and it was a census also. Uh, and he, uh, this Augustus was a tremendous administrator. He's the one that established um, the financial ability of Rome, and, and it lasted for se- uh, several uh, emperors after that. Uh, he, but he was tremendous in that, uh, in, in what he was able to do. But um, then you have uh, uh, you know, raiser of taxes. You have Luke, Luke two one, where it speaks about that, and uh, <clears throat> then. Uh, yeah, this tax, tax, taxation affected where Jesus was born, and uh, mentioned that they went to Joseph and Mary went to went to Bethlehem, and this was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Micah five, verses two and three that said he would be born in Judah in Bethlehem, and so that was uh, all of this came together when Christ was born in that town. Um, Luke two one it come to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And that's uh, coming from, or, or it refers also to uh, chapter 11 here, that he was in, an imposer of taxes upon the whole world uh, that, they, that they knew at that time. Um, he succeeded Julius Caesar. We talked about this earlier. Um, he reigned for more than 20, 40 years peaceably and then died in bed peaceably. Find that in, in the Bible Commentary, page 8, four, uh, 870. Then Augustus was succeeded by Tiberius, who ruled from A.D. 14 to 37. And, 
he ruled the world at the time of the crucifixion. This statue is from the Vatican Museum. <clears throat> uh, it was Christ, the Prince of the Covenant, who Rome, through Pilate, broke or crucified. In fact, let's go back to chapter 9. And um, the, the word, the, both the word Prince and Covenant are the identical words in both places. So there's no doubt there's a, there's a verbal connection between uh, chapter 9 and uh, also uh, in chapter 11. In 9, at, uh, middle of verse 25, he's called Messiah the Prince. And uh, verse uh, 26, Messiah would be cut off. And, uh, and the, but the word uh, uh, Prince and um, Prince of the Covenant uh, was Christ when he was crucified. Oh, yeah, thank you, covenant. Yeah, the word covenant in verse 27, thank you for uh, uh, reminding me of that. The word covenant in verse 27 of, of Daniel 9 and the word covenant in uh, eleven twenty-two are identical. And the word prince in both cases is identical, the same identical Hebrew word. And uh, so there's no doubt uh, that that's the case. Now, the, the question comes up, people, one of the arguments today, uh, the question is, who is Israel? Uh, <clears throat> there was a transition that took place, and it's verse, uh, verse 22 of, da of Daniel 11, that the transition took place of, on Israel. Uh, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament, you have the city, the city and the state were called Israel. And, but in the New Testament, whoops, what's going on here? I don't think I pushed that, at least on purpose. Um, uh, Christ, Christ is called Israel. Uh, in Hosea, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, in fact, I think that's the next, the next one we have. Um, Israel was a type of Christ. Israel as a nation pointed directly to him as the full accomplishment of its design. In Hosea 11.1, 1, uh, Hosea is pointing back to the deliverance of Israel from, uh, from Egypt. But Matthew takes that in verse, uh, hey, what's this thing <laughs> running by itself? <laughs> Maybe I'll just stop and, stop and watch it, see what I've got here. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, Matthew uh, 2.15 says that, that Hosea 11.1 1 was fulfilled when, when God called his son out of Egypt which was Christ. Maybe let's, let's read it. And uh, uh, I should have probably put it on the, on the slide, but Christ is the fulfillment of Israel. And um, yeah, oh, chapter 2, I was looking at another one. Uh, chapter 2 and verse uh, 15, yes. Uh, this, uh, they were there in Egypt uh, until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. And chapter 11 of Hosea, verse 1, is what they're referring to. And uh, <clears throat> so Christ is the true Israel. And only those who are connected to Christ are the true Israel. Yes. Mm -hmm. Isaiah 41, 8 says that uh, Israel is the seed of Abraham. Is the what? Seed of Abraham. Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. Galatians says that Christ is the seed of Abraham. Yes. And then it, then it goes on to say that we are the seed of Abraham through Christ. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. In fact, that's very very clear in the in the New Testament. 
And I've got some references here as we, as we get into this. Uh, I, wanna, I don't want to spend a lot of time, but, but also the Old Testament church, uh, Acts 7.38, talks about the church in the wilderness. <laughs> so the church, uh, Israel was, was considered the church at that time. There are some, uh, some people today who, uh, who say there was no church until, uh, until New Testament times. But it's not, it's not so. Here, uh, the church was uh, outlined, and Christ was the head of the church in the Old Testament, as well as the New. And so there's a transition that went from the Old Testament to the New when Christ was, uh, when Christ was crucified. And so you have here uh, in the New Testament, uh, chapter 2, verse 47, uh, they added people to the church as the apostles were preaching. So you got the fulfillment of the church from that time. Israel was fulfilled in Christ. The church was fulfilled. Then you have the, the glorious kingdom in the land in uh, Daniel 11, 16, 20, 41, and 45. And uh, the kingdom then uh, was uh, transferred to, uh, to the, um, the uh, spiritual thing. That doesn't mean it's not real. <laughs> you, uh, your spiritual is still real. But some people say they wanted... They wanted this whole movement today in Christianity, uh, especially in evangelicalism, uh, of establishing the temple in, uh, in Jerusalem, uh, this is all a part of a misunderstanding of the prophecy, who Israel really is. And uh, this is, uh, but, but something happened, and I need to go back to this thing, it must be on a time, timer. But here, you've got uh, <clears throat> Israel also pointed to Christianity, especially Romans 2.28. Says, who is a, <clears throat> he is a Jew, the circumcision of the heart and not of the not of the flesh. So all of these are dealing with uh, with the transition that took place in New Testament times, and in uh, and, and, and eleven uh, Daniel eleven twenty two that was the separating point. Um, uh, but I would say even this in Old Testament times the true Israelite was only those who were born again, <laughs> and uh, because uh, in chapter nine of Romans he makes a difference between Israel and Israel. <laughs> And so uh, we, need to, we need to understand some of these things because uh, there, even there's coming into the Seventh-day Adventist church that there's going to be something really great happening in Israel. It may happen. I, I'm not saying that that's not going to happen, but it's a counterfeit. And we don't want to get caught up in this. Um, but it's uh, Protestantism who, who is uh, pushing for the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, they've got plans. Some of them even claim they have uh, material to go, but I, I've, never, I've never seen it. I've heard things about it. But uh, They're going to have to tear down <clears throat> the uh, uh, Muslim... <laughs> the mosque there, yeah. Yeah, that's what, that's what they're concerned about. Yes. That's the what? Oh, really? In Jerusalem? For building the temple? Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. 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 Interesting. The, uh, what, what would be wrong with rebuilding the temple? Yeah, exactly. But even if, even if, the, uh, if the Muslims would consent, would it be wrong to have the temple built? Why? Okay, the Messiah has already come. He's been crucified. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world has already been offered. And we are the temple. Yes, okay. That, yes, yeah, there are, well, there are four temples in Scripture. The tabernacle, the temple, 
Christ is the temple, and then God's people are the temple. Oh, well, that's five. There's a temple in heaven also. So, yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, there, this, is, uh, uh, this is interesting to, to see and hear what's going on today. But, but we need to remember, again, that, that those verses, up until uh, verse 21, they were local situations and local king, kingdoms. And then after uh, t- uh, verse 22, uh, this thing is expanded into global dimensions, worldwide. Uh, that's what we're faced with uh, today. But the center of all of this is Christ and Him crucified. Uh, in the cross, we have, uh, this is our message. Uh, it's our argument. <clears throat> it's uh, our doctrine. Uh, the gospel. It's a warning to the impenitent, encouragement to God's people, and the hope of, of, all, of all of us. And um, uh, I've got some spirit of prophecy statements here that deal with the cross that she says, hanging upon the cross, Christ was the gospel. This is our message, our argument, our doctrine, our warning to the impenitent, our encouragement for the sorrowing, the hope of every believer. He whose eyes are fixed on Jesus will leave all. He will die to selfishness. It's by beholding Christ that will be changed. And that's 6 B.C. 11.13. And I've got several of them here that deal with that. The sacrifice of Christ uh, as an atonement for sin is the great truth around which all other truths cluster. Gospel Workers 3.15 In order to be understood and appreciated, every truth in the Word of God must be studied in the light of the cross, the light that streams from the cross of Calvary. 5 B.C. 11.37 to this great truth, all other truths are tributary. Upward, upward look, page 85. The cross stands alone, a great center in the world. It does not find friends, but it makes them. This can be illustrated in the, in the brothers of Christ. You remember they ridiculed him up until, well, in, in John chapter 7, uh, they told him, go up to Jerusalem, go up to Jerusalem. And they were mocking him. It looks like they were for him. But the next verse, uh, John says, but they did not believe in him as the, as the Savior. But something happened. Six months later was Pentecost. And in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, you have Mary and the other sons of Joseph that were there. And possibly, uh, and Mary could have had children also. There's indication of that in, in Psalm 69. Um, but Christ, they were enemies. Many of them were enemies against Christ. But the cross of Christ uh, changed them as they understood what was going on. They they became uh, they became uh, converted. Another one: none can bear away from the vision of Christ Jesus crucified a lingering doubt. Unbelief is gone, and this is an extension of that. As the sinner sees Jesus as He is, and all compassionate Savior, hope and assurance take possession of the soul. The hope the helpless soul is cast without any reservation upon Jesus. None can bear away from the vision of Christ Jesus crucified a lingering doubt. Unbelief is gone. So, but by beholding Christ, something will take place in our our own experience, as it did with the apostles. Now, the cross does not find an influence in its favor. It creates an influence. This is the means that is to move the world. Now, the next one is an interesting one. Of all professed Christians, Seventh-day Adventists should be foremost in uplifting Christ before the world. 
let me see. I want to go here. This, one, this is the same one. The proclamation of the third angel's message calls for the, the presentation of the Sabbath truth. This truth, with others included in the message, is to be proclaimed. But the great center of attraction, Christ Jesus, must not be left out. It is the cross of Christ that mercy and truth meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Gospel Workers 156. So this is the center of this. And here, talking about uh, mercy and truth, uh, mercy and truth, righteousness and peace uh, met. The devil tried to separate these from, the, from God, and he thought that he had, uh, he had accomplished it. But the cross of Calvary uh, brought these things together where they're inseparable. Um, you know, hey, should we open the windows? Are you folks getting hot and cold? Is it open? Okay. You got the fan on too? Wow. Yeah, okay, that's what, yes. I have a question. Sometimes the way that we state things with the cross, we almost make the cross rather than Christ the Savior. Yeah, if you're talking about... How do we avoid doing Well, you should, when we're talking about the cross, we are talking about Christ crucified. I understand that, but yeah. sometimes the way it's worded, and then you think how the Catholic Church has the cross yes. as a yeah. symbol. yeah. Well, and I would say even in many Protestant churches, you got the crosses splattered all over churches today, outside and inside, and they're actually look, they're worshiping the symbol rather than the reality. But when we're talking about Paul talks about, he said, "I determined not to know anything but Christ and Him crucified." He said, "The cross is the power of God unto salvation," but he's talking about Christ. That's, uh, that's yeah, right. yeah. Sometimes I think with some people when you talk with them, it's almost like they're making the cross. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. This is another just another illustration of the same thing. <clears throat> but uh, atonement. There was an atonement that took place at uh, Calvary. Um, in chapter four of the book of uh, Leviticus. You have an atonement of forgiveness. This went on every day of the year. On the great day of atonement, that happened once a year, it was called a, uh, an, uh, an atonement of cleansing. So it's, there's atonement that went on continually, and that's Christ and Him crucified. Then on the day of atonement, that blood uh, that was shed represented Christ, the cleansing blood of Christ, to remove the sins, not only the record in heaven, but from our, from our brains. This is where the, this is where the record is. Uh, in our own ex uh, in our existence, and so the the eradication of the record in sin in heaven is evidence that God is working on our minds to to purify our minds. And uh, um, then here here's another one. I present before you the great grand monument of mercy and regeneration, salvation and redemption. The Son of God lifted up on the cross of Calvary. This is to be the theme of every discourse. Christ de declares, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now, <clears throat> I know that I have not uh, done this in every case, but that's what I wanted. That's my goal, <laughs> that Christ and Him crucified will be uplifted in every sermon I preach, somewhere along the line, either leading to Him or away from Him. And, um, uh, but we, uh, in fact, she goes on to say, never should a sermon be preached or Bible instruction in any line be given without pointing the hearers to the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Every true doctrine makes Christ the center. Every precept receives force from His words. 
16:54. Again, I think, yeah, we, we read this one earlier, but the cross stands alone, a great center in the world. It does not find friends, but it makes them. It creates its own agencies. Um, and she, this is an interesting statement, too. She said, the end is near. We have not a moment to lose. Light is to shine forth from God's people in clear, distinct rays, bringing Jesus before the churches and before the world. One interest will prevail. One subject will swallow up every other. Christ, our righteousness. It was in Christ that the Father poured out his righteousness when Christ was here on the earth. And uh, uh, many times we, we quote this part of it, one interest will prevail, but the first part of the paragraph is that we, we have not a moment to lose. We're at the time of the end. So the, the main, the main uh, subject that we're going to be dealing with in the last days is Christ and Him crucified. If we know Him, we have nothing to fear for the future. That's, that's, uh, we, we need, and that we have time. God is giving us time now to get to know Him. Uh, <clears throat> we looked at this one before. Uh, here. Everlasting righteousness comes from the eternal God. Let's go to Romans chapter three because here it, it outlines for us what John or what uh, Daniel uh, was speaking about. Um, in chapter three, in beginning with verse twenty-one, he says, "Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets." Even the righteousness of God, which is through faith, the faith of Jesus. If you have the King James Version, I may have it here. Let me see if I put it. The, uh, pardon me? Yes. Yeah, King James. Yeah. Yes. The King James, I've looked at many of the, new, uh, the uh, newer translations and they, they, they translated faith in Jesus. Now we, should, we, we have to have faith in Christ. I'm not, I'm not throwing that out. But the text itself says that the righteousness of God came from the Father to Christ through his faith. Christ, believed, he, Christ was righteous by faith alone as a human being. Now he had all the righteousness of God before he came, but when he when he became a human being, he had to receive righteousness by faith in God alone. And he lived by faith. When he, his first temptation in the, in the wilderness, and probably all the way along, but that's the first public temptation. When the devil came to him, Christ was telling him that, that the Son of Man must live by faith alone. When he said, man does not live by, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the, as, the, as the word pro proceeds from God's mouth and we accept it, um, that's, living, that's living by faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I think yeah. that uh, during the idea here, uh, even the righteous God through faith can be said to all and then could be in all who believe. Well, it can be either way. Uh, but, uh, the problem with that, they were skirting that from Pentecostal brothers. They say the spirit is from beyond this. So on it doesn't have to be in you. See, so oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, the righteousness, the righteousness of God came to Christ, and He represented the entire human race. Now that doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved, but everyone has been given the gift of Christ. Every every single person in the world. But let let, let me finish. Let me finish. 
the righteousness of God comes to every single human being, but it comes into yes. those who believe. And that's and that's the, the uh, that's the difference he's making. Their, uh, Yes. They say upon, they don't say within? Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Most of your modern, modern ones. By the way, some of those translations came from the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus. Both are Catholic uh, manuscripts. And I, we believe they were doctored. There, there are some good translations, but but we need to be careful when we're reading. Yeah. 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 The King James and New King James come from the same manuscripts. Some and even some of those are interpreted by the scholars when they when they put it together. But they're they're. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the great mystery of God. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We need to be. We we need to have it upon us. We need to have it in us also. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, Christ's righteousness comes to us through the faith of Jesus, and apart from the law. Now, the law is the law of righteousness, but we cannot get righteousness from the law. But, as that verse says, uh, the, the one in verse uh, 21, it's apart from the law, but the law testifies. And here is uh, justification always, always brings us into harmony with God's law. The faith of Jesus always brings us into harmony with God's law. And if we have the genuine article, uh, that law testifies for us in the courts of heaven. Because it is a definition of the righteousness of God. And so it always, in fact, I think the last verse of the, of the chapter here in, in Romans 3, he says, do we make void the law through faith? He says, certainly not. The King James says, uh, God forbid. On the contrary, we establish the law. So faith in Christ establishes the law in the heart and the mind of the individual. And, uh, we're in, and, the, and the law then uh, becomes a t- testimony. Yes. Yeah. And then out of the but out of the heart proceeds uh, right. words and actions. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now, um, uh, mentioned God's law of righteousness testifies in behalf of the believer. Um, God's everlasting righteousness comes through. We need to remember this through the faith of Jesus Christ unto and upon all those that believe. There's no difference. This is this is the King James. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, but even the, even the uh, I, I use the uh, New King James, but even this one has, has been translated uh, following some of the modern tra- other mon- modern translations. It says faith in Jesus. Though. Yes, faith in Jesus. Yes, that's right. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> then, uh, well, before, before I get to this, let's go to, let's go to Revelation, uh, Revelation 14, 12. Um, <clears throat> the, same, the same structure is here. Uh, here and also in, in Galatians. We'll look at that one too. In chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith in Jesus. Of Jesus, yes. Of Jesus is an accurate translation. There are some who have in Jesus here also. But it should be translated literally, it's the faith of Jesus. 
And, uh, and, and it's, this is a Hebrew thought. It was written in Greek, but it's a Hebrew thought. Hebrew thinking was they would give you the conclusion of something, and then they, they would give you what it was based on. And so the, uh, this patience is based on the faith of Jesus and obedience to the commandments of God. It's not the other way. We don't have patience, and then we keep the commandments of God. Then we have the faith of Christ. It's not, that's not the way it is. We have the faith of Christ that causes us to be obedient to, the, to the God's, God's law, and that's what produces uh, patience. That's what I was talking and, about, that distinction. Yeah. Well, in the the context of the, of the passage here, we have um, uh, those who oppose that will be known for their impatience. Uh, and, and they're going to be known for their own law that they've manufactured, and they're going to have a counterfeit faith. And so this is in opposition to the end. The, the, the vital issue here is liberty of conscience. Uh, those who have the faith of Jesus uh, and those who keep the commandments of God and are patient are going to be opposed by the, by the entire I'm world. I'm going to take up with my Pentecostal sister who is after. Uh-huh. I'm going to dwell on the simplicity of the faith of Jesus. Yeah. Look at that body, the faith of Jesus. Yeah. And then I'm going to proceed that way. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. But now let's, let's take another look at this. Ellen White speaks about the... Uh, uh, about the faith of Jesus, or about the message, the third angel's message. She says, several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message. And I have answered, it is the third angel's message in verity. So the message of the third angel, and that would, uh, this includes all three of them, but specifically that third one, it is justification by faith. When we talk about the faith of Jesus, we're talking about Justification by faith Verity. cannot be separated. Verity would be certain. True, yeah, it's it, truth. Yeah, okay. yeah, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, and uh, uh, now uh, in the early days of Adventism, or probably well up until 1888, uh, during that period of time, um, we had tremendous debaters. We talked about that, I think, the first uh, first week, the first uh, hour, but um, it became very successful in debating. But people were joined to a doctrine rather than to Christ. And even the faith of Jesus was considered a set of doctrines. You keep the faith, like Jude says, keep the faith. That meant a, a series of doctrines. But they did not realize it was, an, it was Christ's faith. And as we believe in him, as we accept that faith, we believe in him and we have an experience uh, with it. And uh, that, that came... About what happened here. Stuff in doctrine for a long yeah, okay. More, many of us do, yeah, but yeah. Now, we want to go now to another. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2. And you're familiar with, uh, with uh, the situation between uh, Paul and, uh, and Peter. Peter had denied the gospel. And um, he had come to the aid of uh, Paul and Barnabas at the first general conference recorded in Acts chapter 15. The Pharisees that believed followed Paul around and they said, uh, yes, we believe in Jesus, but you must also be circumcised. And uh, so they called, uh, they called this group, uh, and it was a general conference, the first one. Uh, Jesus' brother was the first general conference president. <laughs> and uh, uh, Paul and, and uh, Barnabas gave a tremendous uh, argument in position of justification by faith in Christ alone. Peter came to their defense, and he re- related to them. This is recorded in well, chapter, uh, chapter 15, but going back to chapter 10, when uh, Peter went to the Gentile uh, army man 
And he said, God, has, you know, you remember the, the sheets that came down? And Peter said, I'm not going to eat this stuff. It's unclean. <laughs> Three times God lowered that, gave him that dream. And then he says, God showed me that I should call no man unclean. That was the, that was the message that he got there. And so uh, Peter actually clinched the argument for justification by faith at that council. Then a few years later, he was in Antioch. And Antioch was kind of the uh, jumping off place for missionary work. There were three, ma uh, three major cities. One was uh, Rome, the other was um, Alexandria in Egypt, and the third was, uh, was Antioch. And in time, in, in church history, we see that what Rome and Ant Alexandria got together and they disbanded or they, they disfellowshipped the church in Antioch. That church went underground. They were the, they were the beginning of the Waldensians. I mean, they're, uh, they weren't, the Waldensians didn't come out of that. But the missionary activity from Antioch went into Europe and was bringing the gospel, even though the Church of Rome was the visible one, uh, the Waldenses and others were the ones that were actually bringing the gospel. And then they, they went uh, uh, east uh, into India. Today there's still a group of people called the St. Thomas Christians. And they came from Antioch originally. They believe that Thomas, that's where he went, and he was killed there. But some have said they went as far as the Philippines. Uh, from the, they were a tremendous missionary-minded uh, group. But this is the jumping off place going to Europe or Asia or wherever it was to begin with. And then when they were cast out of the fellowship of, of the, uh, the uh, Rome and Alexandria. Hopefully. Yeah. But anyhow, let's, let's uh, take a look. Let's go. Well, I guess we can go here. Um, verse 11. Um, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Why? Because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel... I said to Peter before them all. And so this, what, from the rest of the chapter, is dealing with Paul's rebuke uh, to Peter. And verse 16 is the one that I want to uh, call your attention to. This is, you know, the other day we did a, uh, a chiasm in the book of Daniel, several chiasms of uh, poetry uh, uh, configurations. Here's one in the New Testament, really interesting. He, he says, Peter, you know that we're not justified by the law. And... Uh, and this verse begins and ends with we're not justified by the, by the law. And it doesn't matter whether it's uh, ceremonial or, or uh, moral. We cannot get righteousness from the law of God. It testifies to the genuine article, but we cannot get it from there. And so he said, Peter, you know that we are not justified by the law. He says it twice. And then he says, or by the works of the law and not by the works of the law. And then the central part. We are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. This is the same construction as Revelation 14, 12 and, and uh, Romans um, 3, 22. Uh, then he goes on. Even we have believed in Jesus, and that's accurate, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. <laughs> so this is the, this is the structure of, uh, of the meaning of justification, the faith of Jesus, as it brings this to us. This is, the, this is the concept of Daniel that when, Christ, when he was presenting Christ to him crucified, this is part of what, uh, what he was talking about, the faith of Christ. The Messiah was, 
was uh, faithful uh, unto death. And then he goes on in verse 21. Here we have a, it's called an envelope construction. And this is the way it is in the Greek. It starts out with Christ, and then it says, I was crucified together with. And it's, but it starts with Christ. And then he says, but I'm living, not I, but living in me, Christ. <laughs> and the, the, the word Christ is in both, uh, both sections, the one section here. And this other is an envelope inside. This is what Paul was talking about. He was directing it to Peter, rebuking him for that. And uh, then the next part, uh, part B of this verse, um, you know, it says, oh, what happened here? Oh, here we go. Christ, uh, that I was crucified with Christ. This is that one. Yet I live, yet not I, but living in me is Christ. So this is, the, this is what he was talking to, to Peter about and talking to us about it also. Um, I, gotta, I think, yeah, this is the last part of, of verse 20. The life which I, I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And again, this is the King James. Both uh, 16 and 20, uh, the, the King James has it accurate. Almost all other translations uh, have it, do, do not have it. They have faith in Christ. And we must have faith in God. I'm not, you know, I don't want to throw it out. But we need to remember that the everlasting righteousness came from God to Christ and then comes to the rest of us. Yes, right. Yeah, even, yes. The faith that comes from the Word of God is the faith of Jesus. <laughs> and so the people that seem to be caught up in worship of law and come at me with that, that's what I started with. Okay, yeah, that's, these are good ones. Yeah. Me to hope the Lord. Yeah. What does that mean? I ask them, what does that mean? Uh -huh. yeah. So I, I want to know from them where they're at and try to draw them out. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The doctrine of God's righteousness is the everlasting gospel. It is from and through the cross that righteousness flows to the condemned race. Um, I think it wasn't yesterday we talked about even uh, Belshazzar. He was sustained by every morsel of food that he ate, every drop of water he drank, came stamped with the cross of Christ. Yep. Yeah, well, we... We study the gospel in the light of Belshazzar. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Alrighty. Um, now, peace comes through justification by the faith of Jesus alone. And I think, um, yeah, oh yeah, here in Isaiah 32, 17. The work of righteousness is outlined for us here. Um, the work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. This is the third angel's message prophesied. <laughs> God's people in the last days will be known for righteousness, for peace, quietness, and assurance forever. And I want to, I've had a, if any of you get nervous when you're called on to do something, <laughs> this is a tremendous promise. Um, I, I used to sing. <clears throat> I, I can croak now, but I, <laughs> but uh, I was asked to sing at a, wed a friend's a wedding. And uh, I had never sung uh, in company with, with uh, or by, uh, by an organ, with piano or other instruments. Had one opportunity to, to practice the night before, one time, and I was singing the Lord's Prayer. I started too high and too loud. 
<laughs> now you know what happens when you get to the end of that <laughs> song. It's pretty high and it's pretty loud. And I was singing in the cloud. <laughs> there were people coming in the church right as I was ending. And it, <laughs> it, was, it was just shocking. And, and uh, I don't know whether it was on note or not. I think it was, but it was, I, I knew it was a disaster. So I worried all night long. <laughs> the next morning, the wedding was in the afternoon, and I was sweating blood <laughs> as well as tears. I said, God, I cannot do this. I, uh, I, sh I should have had more practice. And, but there was no way. There was absolutely no way. And so it, time for the wedding, and I was sitting on the front row, and I, was I had pushed the panic button. <clears throat> and I said, God, what am I going to do? And he directed me to this. I had read it before. So I sat there, sitting on the front row, and I had my finger, and I said, God, you have said <laughs> that the work of righteousness is peace and confidence and assurance wherever I claim the promise. You know he gave me a calmness <laughs> that I got up and sang and, and went without a hitch. <laughs> but, but this is My wife, has, she has a tendency for uh, anxiety from times. <laughs> and I'll remind her, claim Isaiah 32, 17. It's a tremendous promise. And then it, uh, connect that with uh, uh, Romans uh, 5, 1. Yeah. Having been justified, we have peace with God. Yeah. And that's a wonderful, wonderful promise too. But God's people are going to be known for that in the last days. That's, where the, that's, the, that's the patience. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they who uh, obey the commandments of God and they keep the faith of Jesus. So that's, that's what God wants to do with us. That's the message. That's the end result of righteousness by faith in our, in our experience. Yeah, Wagner said, um, we have peace with God because we have ceased our war. <laughs> yes, exactly, yes. Uh, in fact, I've, I've, heard a, I've heard an illustration of, uh, with the Nazis. The Nazis, you have to go back to the Second World War before you have a total surrender, unconditional surrender. Uh, the, uh, the fighting, even in, in the Middle East today, Korea, every one of the, uh, Vietnam, these are, they were never finished. There was no surrender on either side. But, and so you have to go back. Now the Germans did not, when they said, you're going to surrender, um, uh, you, gotta, you need to surrender your tanks, your machine guns, and your rifles, one by one? No. They surrendered themselves. And once they had surrendered, then everything they owned came under that jurisdiction of the, of the, of the ones who won. And, uh, but we have to go back to that war to really understand unconditional surrender. And that's what God wants with us. He's not interested even in our sins. If we're, if we're bowed down with sins, if we surrender ourselves to him. Now, many times we use, uh, we use um, uh, sins as an excuse from really surrendering ourselves to him. Because it's easier to give up that or give, give that. I can give that up for a while. I can fight it and overcome it, supposedly. And then as time goes on, that thing starts cropping up again. <laughs> But if we surrender ourselves to him, and there's a tremendous promise in volume five of the testimonies. Uh, trying to think of the page now. But she said, she's talking to an alcoholic, young, a young man who had gone back into alcohol. And she says, as soon as you surrender your will to God, to Christ, he immediately takes possession of it. <laughs> and I, I pray that on a regular basis. And I said, God, I surrender my will to you. And I, I was one who did not want to surrender. Yeah, very yeah. good point. What happened to me is he went to work on the desire of it, the desire. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Holy Spirit gained control of the desire. 
you may fall in that, you may walk in that, but once the desire comes to control the spirit, you suddenly think, well, you know, I have that, but I don't desire it like I did before. It doesn't come instantly. It's a process. And then when the desires are conquered, you don't want that anymore. Yeah, but you need to remember that it's still there. It's still there. There, If you you break away from Christ, come back. Exactly. Yeah, Carol, you had a thought. Yeah. You what? Yeah, well, yeah, the, and the, uh, uh, was it Isaiah and even David said that uh, um, I have peace because I've, uh, I have, I've obeyed the commandments of God. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Once I realized that the actual problem was not my problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to, uh, if we need, I want to do something here that, uh, here. Um, Here's an illustration that that helps me and helps others too. Say, here, this is Jesus here, and that's you and me here. Maybe I can get it. You can put your name there too. That's what I'm intending. Now, this this would be the this is the line of faith. We have faith. We we receive the faith of Jesus, and we believe in Him. We're trusting Him on a daily basis. The enemy comes along. He wants to cut that uh, relationship off between ourselves and Christ, and so he d- diverts our attention over here. And there are all sorts of things. Uh, uh, Ellen White uses steps to Christ. The the um, Burdens that we have, the uh, problems of the world, uh, the the problems of other people, the sins of others. Any, it doesn't matter what it has. And if that doesn't work, then he's able to turn his, our eyes upon ourselves. She says to any or all of these, do not be misled. <laughs> this is this is where it is. Uh, regardless, the person may be committing sins, open sins, but if they will depend on Christ, God will give them the victory over these sins. Yes. Uh, Steps to Christ, um, I think it's 47, but I'm not sure now. Uh, there's several pages that she deals with. It. Maybe 70, I'm not sure. Read the whole book. You read <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but it, it's good, so. All righty, now. Uh, also, we are justified by His blood. This is what took place at Calvary. We're reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Which, while we were enemies, this took place. And uh, it said He would finish the transgression. Uh, he made uh, made an end of sin. He was made to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Made reconciliation for iniquity. He brought in everlasting righteousness, and that's that would be the very righteousness of God. Uh, and then He sealed the vision. Uh, in the prophecy, he anointed the most holy. When Christ ascended to heaven, he uh, went into the first apartment. 
and uh, th th there was an inauguration. In fact, this is what it's talking about. The, um, Acts uh, chapter 2, it talks about Pentecost, how they were all of one accord and the Holy Spirit came upon them. This was a fulfill fulfillment of not only Psalm 133, but the whole priesthood in the Old Testament. They, they poured oil over the top of the priests and prophets and kings as an anointing. And this was when, when, when that ceremony took place in heaven, when it finished, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples below. And so that was the, but the, the, the sanctuary had been anointed uh, with, the, uh, with the movement of Christ into the, into the, uh, into the sanctuary. And that was that, during that 490-year uh, period, or when, right after the crucifixion, when Christ ascended to heaven. Uh, oh, oh, looks at, there's one other, one other thing I want to do. I, I was going to put it in here. Thank you. I did say 70, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, I said 47, and then, and then I said, uh, I think in 47, if I remember correctly, it has to do with the surrender of the will. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, yeah, but 70, 71, 72, the whole chapter is good. Uh, there's another, what, how's our time? Oh, my. Let, okay, I think I can finish in this one. I, I, um, let me, I think I've got it here. Yes, this is, this is from uh, um, John chapter 6. Uh, let me see if I can get it up here. Um, the hand that never lets go. Both John 10, but ch chapter 6 I use most of the time. John chapter 6 and verse 37. Christ says he will hold us by a hand that will never let go. There's a double negative in that. Now, in the English language, usually if we have a double negative, it makes it a positive. But not in this case. It's two different words. Uh, in fact, let's, let's read. Let's go. I'm going to read it, get it accurate. Uh, John 6 and uh, verse 37, where... Uh, <clears throat> And this is Jesus speaking to, um, oh, chapter 5, I don't want to be there. Uh, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no means cast out. And uh, you know, there's no doubt our sincerity will be, uh, will be tested, but Christ will never, never let go. Um, uh, the double negative is um, yeah yeah if we yeah yeah in fact I have used uh, I've used this illustration that uh, another I got it from another man I didn't originate it but I've taken two kids I remember one time I had a boy and a girl in each hand and I said I want to use an illustration took them by the hand and had a pretty good grip on them I said come on we're going to heaven and I started started walking down the aisle of the church. And uh, the girl couldn't get away from it. The boy did. <laughs> you might think he ruined the illustration. <laughs> but I said, no. I said, we can, uh, Christ will not let go of us. But if we kick and scream all the way to the kingdom gates, uh, he, he has to let us go. So, so this is an illustration of someone who got away from Christ. But, but it wasn't Christ that let go. Uh, he had to fight, fight to get away. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. And I think they were all reluctant to go, but at least Lot and the two girls uh, continued on, but the wife, she pulled her hand out of the hand of the angel. And she, that's where she wanted to be. Yeah. All right, let's, let's go through this. Um, 
uh, have you, I've tried before and failed. This is many times you run into this. But we need to remember that failure does not mean final defeat. Uh, faith comes by the word of God, then grasp his promise. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Cast yourself at his feet with a cry, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. You can never perish while you do this. Never. She was a double negative. <laughs> and I'm sure she did not understand it, uh, Greek. But she understood the concept. God gave her the concept. And Desire of Ages 4.29. And then here's another one. Um, we can be as safe as though inside the city of God. Right now. Here's, this is, she was writing to a lady. Um, I believe this one was 1892, if I remember correctly. Lizzie, I think her name was. Uh, she says, The message from God to me for you is, Him that cometh unto me, I will no wise cast out. If you have nothing else to plead before God, but this one promise from your Lord and Savior, you have the assurance that you will never, never be turned away. It may seem to you that you are hanging upon a single promise, but appropriate that one promise and will open to you the whole treasure house of the riches of the grace of Christ. Cling to that promise and you are safe. Him that cometh to me, I will, know, I will in no wise cast out. Present this assurance to Jesus and you are as safe as though inside the city of God. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? And this is a lady, she was, dis she was discouraged and uh, thought she was going to lose her way. And Ellen White wrote her and gave her encouragement. And I was 94, I thought it was 90, 92. Lizzie Inns is her name, and that's in uh, 10 manuscript release, page 175. Then the last, the last letter, or one of the last things she wrote before she died, this was about a year before she died. Uh, you can find it in, it's the last chapter in Testimonies to Ministers. And it was, it's the same theme that she talked about uh, this lady 20 years before. She says, Jesus, uh, Jesus declares, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. That is, there is no possibility of my casting him out. For I have pledged my word to receive him. And this is one of the last of her writings. Uh, Testimonies of Ministers 517 and 519. But these are wonderful promises. Um, here's another one that, uh, not related to that. It's related, but it's not the same, uh, same uh, source. Infinite love has cast up a pathway upon which the ransom of the Lord may pass from earth to heaven. That path is the Son of God. Angel guides are sent to direct our erring feet. Heaven's glorious ladder is let down in every man's path, barring his way to vice and folly. He must trample upon a crucified Redeemer ere he can pass onward to a life of sin. And that's a sign of the times, uh, January 26, 1882. I remember <clears throat> I was teaching uh, classes uh, on Christ and his righteousness and I never, I never had the students um, memorize this, but I kept, I used it from time to time. And one young man, he was a very, very brilliant, a good speaker, a good student of Scripture. He'd come out of the drug, uh, drug scene, and unbeknownst to me, he went back into it. He left where we were at, and he called me up one day, and I, I knew he was in a bar, and I, but he wouldn't tell me. I said, well, "I'll come down and see you." He said, "No, no, 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 don't do it." And so, <clears throat> years later, he called me up. And he says, you know that, uh, that passage that you kept reading to us on uh, that uh, uh, we'd have to trample on Christ before we could uh, pass, go on to a path of uh, a life of sin? He said, I couldn't shake it. <laughs> and, and it was through that one promise that he came back to the Lord. So it's powerful. Um, 
if, if it gets into the mind, it's not going to go away easily. So, well, that is the message of Daniel. Now we didn't get through the whole book, which I didn't intend that we would. But, but, uh, but the the principle is the cross of Christ, righteousness by faith, all the way from the beginning. The Jews missed the boat because they did not understand the principle of righteousness by faith. So, and hopefully we will not miss that lesson either. So let's let's pray. Yeah, in fact, if we don't if we don't meet again, let's uh, plan on meeting up there. So yeah, okay. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you so much. Thank you for our discussions, but thank thank you most of all for Jesus, that He will not let us go, and we cling to that promise. We know that Your Word will not fail, and there are times when we do not have full belief, but we can ask you, God, help our unbelief. And uh, you will, you will reach, reach, reach us even more. Thank you so much. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.